Welcome to the Sisters of Resistance podcast for the week of May 13th, 2019. Um, the speakers on this podcast sometimes use bad words, and so listener discretion is advised. I'm here this morning with my two sisters, Fran McIntyre and Meg McIntyre Sundin. And um, hi there, everybody. Good morning. I'm doing this uh, without my um, usual sheet of paper that tells me what I'm supposed to say because I didn't print it off in time. <laughs> but anyway, good morning, everybody. It's another great day in the United States of America. And here we are. And it's Monday morning. And we have a couple of things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Mueller report. And then we're going to ask, answer, get some ethical questions answered from uh, one of our legal eagles with, that's sitting with us this morning. And um, so, uh, ladies, how are you both this morning? Great. We're going to go another day here in paradise, Reggie. Another day in Trump, Trump Landia. Meg, how are you doing? Well, I just want to thank uh, anybody who listens to us because our preparation of this podcast is so helpful for us. I feel mm -hmm. so much better after yeah. we sit, launch this. Right. And so, uh, any list, listeners are Sisters of Resistance too. Um, this is just a mutual thing. We appreciate our listeners so much, mm -hmm. and we're going to always try to serve you to the best of our ability. And that includes, that includes gender normative, binary normative. Oh, yes. Cis we're all about non-binary. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You're in. <laughs> awesome. 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 Okay. So, uh, let's see. Meg, why don't we start with you, since I have my copy of the Mueller Report. And uh, so you, you launch for us, if you will. Thank you so much, Reggie. And, and I was uh, just talking to one of our listeners this morning and talking about how it can be a little bit difficult to get into the Mueller Report. So I'm going to tell you how to read the Mueller Report, how to get to the interesting stuff and skip the boring stuff that will just irritate you is there sexy stuff in it um no but you know sexy sexy it's, it's kind of um gossipy mm -hmm. and i personally love movies sure so it it is quite cinematic right possibly because i've seen some of this on tv and because i know the individual characters how they look how they sound but uh i am having a wonderful time reading the report so Great. I'm happy to tell you folks how I'm doing it. Well, why don't you go ahead? Okay. Well, the first thing I have to tell you is I look at my Mueller report, which uh, my sister Franny uh, graciously provided me with. You can always tell when the McIntyre sisters are working on a book because it has stuff spilled on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we read, type, and take notes. Well, I, I have mine has already been baptized some uh, good, strong English breakfast tea. Yeah. Okay, the, the, the version that, that I have has an introduction by Alan Dershowitz. Yeah. I say, skip that completely. Yeah. I want to call him a sort of a publicity hoe, but that's insulting to the women who have uh, resorted by economic circumstances to that profession. Uh, don't even read it. It's not important at all. I'm also going to advise that you skip volume one. Yeah. And you say, why? Well, volume one is where uh, there was some analysis of possible 
conspiracies between uh, the campaign, the Trump campaign, and the Russians. Skip that. Yeah. Let's go right to volume two. There you go. Volume two is the stuff that you are going to enjoy. That's where the dirt. That's where the dirty parts are. Well, yes, absolutely, and 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 the interesting parts. And I'm going to have to tell you know, and I'm a historian. I also love books. Uh, if you love books or stories, you're a librarian. Any of those things, you are going to love volume two. So the first thing I do is open up volume two, and go to the wonderful table of contents and skim it. There. In section one of the table of contents, excuse me, in section two, it will say the factual results of the instruction of the obstruction investigation. Then in alphabetical letters, A through J are the famous 11 examples of obstruction by Trump and his campaign. And I'm just going to review those titles with you just to refresh your memory, because I know you know these, but yeah. you might have forgotten how many there are. First of all, we've got Russia's support for Trump. Next, the investigation of Michael Flynn. Then Trump's reaction to the FBI's Russia investigation. The firing of Comey. The attempts to fire Mueller. The attempts to curtail the investigation. The preventing disclosure of emails between the campaign and Russia. Further attempts to have the Attorney General take back the investigation, telling McGahn to deny that he was told to fire Mueller. In a little while, we're going to hear some more about, uh, about McGahn. And conduct, the, uh, Trump's conduct towards Flynn, Manafort, other persons have an investigation, and then a separate section of his conduct towards Cohen. Each one of these luscious chapters is filled with information. They are absolutely page turners. But don't start reading yet. Don't stop there. To... There's more. <laughs> don't, don't, don't start reading yet. Now I want you to turn to the very, very, very back of the book where you will find the marvelous footnotes mm -hmm. for volume two. There are over a thousand footnotes. And you will love them for this reason. First of all, skim them so that you will be impressed by the logic, the care, the superb way all the statements in volume two have been supported. You will be told exactly where and exactly which interview, on what date and on what page this information may be found. Volume two is absolutely can be viewed like a diamond under bright light from 360 degrees and it stands up. I say hats off to the Mueller team. Skim the notes. You'll see a lot of them are fairly short, but read the ones that have some sentences involved because there's some really good stuff there. And I would like to give you uh, two examples of stuff where you read something interesting in the text and then when you get to the footnotes you get more okay so i uh, for example do you know as you remember following the departure of flynn sean spicer said in a press conference remember him sean spicer 
the guy we always thought was not paid enough, whatever it was. Yep. He says specifically that the level of trust between the president and General Flynn had eroded to the point where the president felt he had to make a change. Okay. Now you flip to the footnote for that sentence, and it explains that after Flynn pled guilty to making a false statement, a 101, Regina, uh, oh. 1001, yeah. false statement to the FBI, Trump tweeted, quote, I had to fire General Flynn because he lied to the vice president and the FBI. Okay, that caused some fuss. So the next day, Trump's personal counsel said, no, 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 don't blame the president. I'm the one that drafted that tweet. Okay, another couple of sentences in the text. The next next day... Meg, 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 what footnote number is that? I'm sorry, I have not recorded. I know the second one is 470. I can't okay. read it in the 200s. In okay, the 200s. that's cool. Okay. Okay? Yep. Okay, so the next day, Chris Christie, remember, who was very briefly in charge of the transition team, yep. has lunch at the White House with Trump and Kushner. At this lunch, the president says, the Russia thing is over because he's fired Flint. But Christie advises him it's not over. Christie tells Trump not to talk about the investigation, even when he gets frustrated. Okay, so we go to the footnote, which I believe was 470. In the footnote, it says that during the meal, Flynn himself called Kushner and complained about what Spicer had said about him. Remember, level of trust had eroded to the point that the president felt he had to make a change. Okay, so Kushner says to Flynn, you know the president respects you. The president cares about you. I'll get the president to send out a positive tweet about you later. As he says this, Kushner looks at Trump, who nods, okay? So the footnote gives a citation to the page in Christie's interview where this would be found. And further, the footnote says that when he was interviewed, Flynn advised that he had been very upset about what Spicer said and cites where that statement could be found in Flynn's interview. So by reading the footnote, you get such a deeper understanding of, of the background behind each one of these statements. I've got one more quick example. Remember when Fat Donnie had a meeting in the Oval Office with those Russian officials, including Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, yeah. And the very attractive ambassador Sergei Kislyak <laughs> after he fired Comey. Remember? Yeah. Okay. Also remember that there were no American reporters allowed, just a Russian photographer. Right. But somehow there was a patriot in the room. And that patriot leaked that during this meeting, Trump had told the Russians that he had just fired the head of the FBI. Yeah. Trump explained that he faced pressure because of Russia, and that Comey was crazy, a real nut job. Okay, so the text says, the White House then released a statement that says, and it says, says, quote, once again, the real story is that our national security has been undermined by the leaking of private and highly classified information. 
Now, it's very interesting, of course, that this highly classified information was being provided to the Russians, but let's go on. Okay, when we get to the footnote, it says that Hope Hicks, remember Hope Hicks was on his campaign and worked in the office. Yeah. She says the president had said similar things about Comey in an off-the-record meeting with reporters the day before. The president never denied making the statements attributed to him in the Lavrov meeting. And he had previously said to reporters that Comey was a nut job and crazy. And again, the footnotes tells us exactly where in Hulk Hicks' interview report that this information can be found. So it, it just is thrilling to not only read, have a very readable, easy to understand statement of the campaign and the president's obstructions, but then also very detailed background information to back it up. So when you finish looking through the footnotes, go back to volume two and read it for pleasure. I guarantee you will enjoy it and it will be like there's a movie uh, going on in your mind. I, I've just had a ball with it. So I know, I know everyone else will enjoy it too, but skip, skip everything, but go right to volume two and the notes of volume two. Thanks, Reg. Yeah. Uh, Ma Margaret, uh, Meg, have you focused on the 10 or 12 uh, incidents of obstruction? Is that where you focused chiefly? That you think is the well, have, most pertinent part? It, right, right now, reading it for pleasure, I have many ideas about particular things I'd like to bring up in future podcasts. You know, for example, solving the mystery of our girl Sally Yates yeah. and General Flynn and McGann. But it would take too much time for me to do it today. But basically, all your questions will be answered if you read carefully through volume two. And believe me, there was so much obstruction going on. Yeah. It's an absolute miracle that the little that was found was found. So instead of being a total exoneration, it was a triumph that despite every effort to lie and obstruct justice and hide evidence and delete emails, this program by the Russians was so broad that we still had evidence about it. So as I said, you will really enjoy volume two. I just, I just noticed, Megan, looking at the footnotes, you have footnotes for volume one and footnotes for volume two. So don't get confused because I was right. in volume one looking up footnote 470 and I had the, you know, it was not the right, it was not the right footnote right. where you were re referencing. It was volume Go two. Go to the very back, the very yeah. back of the book. Yeah. It's on page four. Yeah, that's where, and, and of course, people might have different versions with different page numbers, no, but the true. very, very back of the book yeah. is where you'll find the footnotes from volume two. Well, you know, I looked on, um, I looked on Amazon and I, I wanted to see which, um, I, I, and when I bought my copy, uh, I like to check to see what kind of rating people give it one star, five stars. And most of those folks gave it a one star because they did not like the fact that Dershowitz put that forward on there. They just thought, right. what, what is he doing there? Why does he, right. why did they let that happen? You know, I would, I would, I would have given it five yeah. just because based on it's, it's brilliant writing, you know? Although volume one is a real slog. Volume one's a real right. slog. It's a real slog because 
the Mueller team has been very careful and they have bent over backwards to be fair, yeah. working within the constraints uh, that were provided by the, 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 the charter, the charge that they had of what they could investigate, and also the restrictions placed on them by attorney general opinions, which we will, we will discuss in a later show. But, can, so, but I said, skip all that. And again, don't even look at Dershowitz. He just, he makes me mad now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, and uh, um, anyway, I just lost my, oh, I just lost my, my, my thought. Oh, I know what I was gonna say. It was, it was a, it was a slog because there are so many, so many entities involved. I mean, so many, and you really have to, it's almost like you need a scorecard, you know, an org chart, a, a family yes. tree to sort all of that out. So yeah, I would agree with you. Just skip over to uh, volume two. And then when you're sitting on the beach in July, read volume one, you know, um, or read volume uh, two again, because they're brilliant. Franny? Yeah, I just, uh, it's really a useful um, bit of information and advice you've offered here, Meg. And of course, this is what the president and his minions are terrified of, that people will actually read this. Read it. Um, and, you know, I've had my copy, you know, and since it was available, and I really find it kind of hard to break into, I've got to admit, I mean, I've looked at sections, but it makes perfect sense to just, if you go to the footnotes first and really pick up uh, the, the detail there uh, in the areas that you're interested in, and then go back and read the text, it's going to make so much more sense. It's going to come much more alive. And that is what they're afraid of. They want people to yes. just see this as a blur and just, and gloss over it. When you... When I'm so offended that that William Barr reduced this all to like a two-page yeah. summary. Oh, bullshit! He couldn't, he, it, it, it's absurd. And uh, if I can say one more thing, my impressions, and I'm not through it yet, and I'm enjoying reading it. But that basically, all this starts because of reports in the press. Mm -hmm. He wants to make up this thing that the FBI is against him. What happens is information comes out in our wonderful free press. And of course, the FBI has to respond to it. But uh, again, they have, have lied, blamed the press. I mean, absolutely just looked at the press and lied, lied, lied. So as I said, it, it will really you to read this. And I think every house should have one on the coffee table. <laughs> very good. Very good. We should put it in hotel rooms. Franny. <laughs> What you got going on this week? Well, I just, I think that the point that Margaret we just made that this report is so dense um, is it really uh, helps to understand why you see this rabid tweeting and this insanity from the White House at the possibility that Don McGahn will testify. Mm. Because Don McGahn will bring this text to life. Right. And that's what they are terrified of, of having somebody see in fine detail the calls the president made to McGahn, the demands and the expectations that he made of McGahn, and still is making of McGahn um, at this point. And so, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the president's men and wondering um, whether any of them care about their law license, uh, frankly, and I suspect they rather do. I, I'm not sure that Rudy Giuliani does um, with that yeah. whole ploy yeah. of uh, going to go to the Ukraine like in the Ukraine, anybody would care about Rudy Giuliani except for Trump. Um, and, you know, even Giuliani acknowledges that his behavior is improper, but he seems not to care. Um, I think Don McGahn is a very different breed of lawyer. Yeah. And, um, and so my thought, my question is, is Dan, Don McGahn going to sacrifice everything 
for, you know, this uh, deranged three-year-old that's got his hands on the Twitter button right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I submit that he's not. I think he's he's different. Um, So the situation with McGahn is that the president turns to him as White House counsel, and according to the Mueller report, um, asks him to do a number of things in order to limit the special counsel's investigation and to interfere and clearly uh, to obstruct. Now, Don McGahn, everybody will remember, is White House counsel. He does not represent the president. Rudy Giuliani represents the president. Don McGahn doesn't. Don McGahn represents the executive, but not the president's interest personally. And you'll remember that, uh, uh, that Ty Cobb, who originally represented the president, um, it was sort of, it seemed kind of a mixed role, whether he represented his White House counsel or what, but his, he was, his interest was the personal legal concerns of the president. This going back 18 months now, he advised Trump uh, to be to to fully disclose and to cooperate fully with counsel, um, and I just I want to point out, you know, Meg and Reg, it's kind of interesting. Nobody's ever criticized Ty Cobb for that advice. Um, the result of it was that McGahn, um, uh, that the president waived executive privilege, and McGahn went to talk to to uh, Mueller and talked to him for what's reportedly 30 hours and told him everything gave up everything. And so it's all contained in the report. And now um, the uh, Judiciary Committee of the United States Congress of the House of Representatives wants to interview McGahn, and the president is wild at that possibility because, again, this will bring all this to life. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, uh, they've asked for two things from McGahn. They've asked for his documents, as presumably the same documents. I've looked at the subpoena that Mueller would have sought from him. And they've looked for his testimony, two separate things. They asked for the documents last week. At the time, the White House threw out this possibility that they would claim executive privilege, but didn't assert it, but said that they might. And so Don McGahn is left in the middle of holding these, holding these documents and the, um, the White House sort of, sort of saying it might. As distinguished from the situation with Barr last week, where they did exert and assert a privilege of a bar. They didn't do it officially. So McGahn basically, to maintain the status quo, just held the whole thing in abeyance and his holding the documents, but he was not found in contempt. He's supposed to testify on May 21st. And um, I suspect at that point, as we talked about on our last podcast, the push will come to shove. Executive privilege for just in a sentence means the private uh, conversations that the president needs to have with his advisors should remain private. It also implicates some national security um, and law enforcement goals, but essentially it's confidentiality in this circumstance um, with the White House lawyer uh, that the president is claiming to have be privileged. Um, what will happen um, in order for them to exert a privilege over McGahn, um, the attorney general is going to have to find first that it was not already given up. It wasn't waived away. Yeah. And the attorney general's also got to find um, that it's not being used to cover up a crime. Remember, in the Nixon situation, they didn't want to give up the criminal smoking gun tapes, and they were using it as a cover-up. So the attorney general's got to assert both those things. And our friend Don McGahn is going to know that both of them are BS. <laughs> that he already waived on behalf of the president the executive privilege. 
and that he knows exactly what the president was giving up and that it seemed to be in the nature of a cover-up. And so the privilege doesn't apply here. It's going to, I believe, leave Don McGahn in the position of needing to make an assertion that he is uh, relying on the assertion of executive privilege that he knows isn't really going to fly. Um, He's got uh, uh, ethical concerns. Every lawyer has a license. And the one thing you want to make sure is that you don't do anything to risk that license. Rudy apparently doesn't care. But Don McGahn did very much. That's why he kept the notes. That's why he's been most careful. That's why I think he's gotten out of the White House. Mm -hmm. Um, And at this point, he's going to have to make a decision. Is he going to lay his license on the line for some barely defensible claim of executive privilege when the ethical rules require that you not lie to the court or the tribunal, you not lie to the tribunal, which Congress is here, and that you not put forward a false argument that has no basis? to the tribunal? I think not. I think Don McGahn, in the final analysis, if he has to choose between Donald Trump and um, upholding the rule of law and the administration of law as he's required to do by his oath, my guess is that um, he's going to step forward um, and do the right thing and speak to the uh, full administration of justice. And the president's attacks on him are not helping um, I suspect McGahn make a decision in that regard. I think McGahn will show up and I think he'll testify. Boy, I sure hope so. I hope sooner rather than later. What do you think in terms of timeliness on that? I think, you know, May 21st, uh, they will probably, it depends on whether Barr can find it in his soul and find people at the Department of Justice, again, who are operating under Rule 11, yeah. who are going to be able to find some way of saying that it hasn't been waived and that it doesn't um, cover up um, uh, criminal activity. Um, I, I think they have a very difficult argument to make there. I had not appreciated, Margaret would know this, that there's a whole protocol they have to go through to assert that executive privilege, and they're going to have a tough time doing it. But So whether it all happens on May 21st, whether they assert the privilege and then it's contested, mm-hmm. um, but this is a much clearer case, it seems to me, because they have not sought everything, the way they, the, the um, Judiciary Committee sought all those underlying documents on the Mueller report. With regard to um, McGahn, it's very specific, and they're specific documents that relate purely to the obstruction efforts. Sessions, Comey, Flynn, they're very specific. Um, And so I think they'll quickly be able to come to a resolution as to whether executive privilege is implicated or not. If it's not, they look to contempt, and I don't see John McGahn He's a young man. He's got a career. Um, he, he wants to go back to the, fe- right, kids. He wants to go back to the Federalist Society bar meetings, you know, with his head up. Right. Um, he's got a reputation to uphold. I just don't see the guy sacrificing at all um, at this point. You know, it's, it's interesting that so much of, well, all of this is just because Donnie, fat Donnie, <laughs> He was afraid that the whole, the illusion or, or that the, the, if the facts came out about the Russian investigation, that it would have dis, uh, um, dismissed, if you will, his election, his, the fact that he won, you know, mm-hmm. all of this mm-hmm. results of that. All mm-hmm. of it. All, all to do with his ego, Reggie. Yeah. His, his ego and his inability to be held accountable, his panic at being held accountable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, and, and uh, 
So do you think it will be done by the 4th of July? Or what are you thinking? That we can sell it? <laughs> well, uh, or what do you think? The notion of a uh, partisan celebration on the 4th of July um, in the, on the National Mall drives me wild. And oh, the, tell the, me about that, Frenny. Tell us about uh, that. Apparently, um, Trump has taken over the 4th of July celebration that's typically run in, in Washington, D.C. for the American citizens to celebrate our Day of Independence. And Trump wants to take it over and have it be a day to celebrate Trump, including oh. having um, him make a speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, um, which all I can think of when I think of that is him stepping out onto the stage at the Republican convention, you know, backlit and festooned yeah. with smoke, smoke and white vapors and coming out like the man behind the curtain. And I mean, if he show, I, I just, it drives me absolutely wild. So I think to myself, can this all be over by July 4th? Because what can we do to stop that? Reggie, what did you tell me that he's like uh, got the Department of Interior under his thumb, yeah. getting ready to organize that? Uh, David Bernhardt. David Bernhardt is now Secretary of the Interior. Ian Bernhardt used to be a oil and gas lobbyist, and he got in. He got in on, on the ground level with um, with the Interior uh, Department, Department of Interior, while um, Zinke was was second okay. so so bernhardt has a long long history of smashing endangered species and putting oil you know gas drilling uh sites on top of mount rushmore and every other public land selling off public lands to the first to the lowest bidder in any event uh apparently david bernhardt the interior secretary the big kahuna the guy in charge is responsible for making this whole thing happen and his quote in the, in the Washington Post says, I think the president is excited about the idea and we're working hard on it. And I think it could be very, very meaningful. <laughs> the president loves the idea, as probably all Americans do, of celebrating America on the 4th of July or thereabouts. I mean, they're all such fucking sycophants and just want to go along. And, and no one, no one, no one puts up anything with any of this. Any there resistance to him? No resistance, you know. And remember when he went to when Trump went to uh, went to France to visit Macron, he wanted to have a Bastille Day parade similar to what right. they do in Paris, you know. And so, um, and thankfully, it was he was planning. He was in the planning stages before they had wheels up out of off of the tarmac. <laughs> they were talking about <laughs> Reggie. Uh, the image of him hijacking the lincoln memorial yeah for him to stand there when you think of the people that have been on that mall martin luther king right marion anderson uh, it is it is very 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 upsetting yeah. and uh, for those of us regina and i used to commute into yeah DC. Mm -hmm. very difficult place very difficult place to secure yeah. Uh, really, uh, he, it, it, it's, it's, it's insane, absolutely insane to think of doing this. But again, this is just something to distract him and yeah. possibly uh, distract the country. And uh, it, is, it is pathetic. It's really like some banana republic. But right. him on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, it makes me want to vomit, really. Well, it's just, it's, we're being run by this deranged three-year-old. It's keeping him happy. It's right. keeping him happy. So, Reggie, I don't think, um, if nobody's going to resist him, um, and they actually go forward with the thing, if it doesn't turn into a big puff balloon, 
you know, puffball like Rudy's trip to the Ukraine did, you know, blow up a stink bomb and then say, well, I'm not going to do it after all, after he's tried to dirty Joe Biden. Um, I wanted just to refine what I had said the other day. I was saying that I thought they ought to move for impeachment. I, I, I think what I want to clarify there and say that really what the time is for them to open an impeachment inquiry, don't you think? Um, that there's, I was reading today that there's three parts to impeachment. There's the inquiry, there's voting the articles, and then there's the trial in the Senate. And opening the inquiry, there's already uh, um, uh, a, a, an inquiry before the House representatives um, that has been filed by Rashida Tayyib, the Congresswoman uh, from Michigan, and joined by Al Green from Texas, um, basically inquiring whether or not um, the president should be impeached. Um, and so just opening that up would open and, and turn these hearings, like for Don McGeehan, into inquiries into impeachment, which again would sharpen up the need and make it much clearer to any court that had to consider executive privilege with McGahn or anybody else, that uh, this, this barely defensible claim should fall um, to the need for an impeachment hearing. It's unlikely then that anything would, would happen by July 4th. It took months in Watergate, but maybe by July 4th, we'll have some really interested, interesting televised hearings and learn what Margaret now knows is in the footnotes of the Mueller report. Mm -hmm. in, in, indeed. I, uh, I agree now, and, and Meg, you know, I know you had some thoughts on that last week, but I, I think, you know, every time, every time, for instance, Clinton gets mentioned, or Nixon gets mentioned, the note of impeachment gets mentioned, and, and you know, I understand that Clinton, obviously, that whole thing, but to me, I would love to see Big Donnie always remembered as someone who is who was in who was well they uh, uh, tried to impeach him. Of course, the Senate. I, I doubt that 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 um, what's his name McCulloch McCollum is going to go along with that McConnell McConnell. Yeah. They call him they yeah. call him McCollum. I think because of um, well, never mind. Anyway, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I you know for the sake of our listeners, I mean this shows that we are not unanimous in all our different ideas. Right. I would like to investigate the heck out of this every way. One of the reasons I am cautious, and I possibly can go into this next week with the podcast, is that the way uh, the Department of Justice is being run now, uh, it's run in a very partisan fashion. I fear that the U.S. Attorney's offices will be partisan, and those are the places that we have to, we, we expect to go to, to have support for the orderly process of law, and I have very little faith in that anymore. But, uh, you know, again, no one that has voted for him in the past is ever going to change their minds, and... Um, uh, as I said, I think there should be such a flurry of investigations that when it does finally get to the Supreme Court, they cannot possibly over they cannot possibly say that all of them are wrong, and uh, you know that all of them are not authorized if they come on a, a bunch of different ways. But mm -hmm. you know, reasonable minds can differ. So you know. Bernie's idea is good too. I, I just, that's, I, I'm, I'm more cautious, but I said when, uh, 
Nancy Pelosi gives me the, the go ahead, I will uh, light my tiki torch uh -huh. and start running. Right. I, I, I think she's, yeah. I think she's probably waiting until the national polls reflect greater than 50% favor impeachment. It's gone up 5% apparently since mid April It's now up at 45%. When it gets over 50, I think then she'll, give the go ahead. She'll raise her hand or, or drop her hand like Cersei did. And, um, <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, uh, uh, it'll be time to move forward, um, as my guess. Um, well, I, anyway, well, that sounds, that sounds good. Are we, uh, anything else for our listeners this week, you guys? Are we, are we uh, good? I got one, I got one thing, Reggie. Uh, yeah. And thank you for pointing out that I should have told our listeners where the footnotes were. That's the okay. first the story about you know, firing Flynn and having lunch. Uh, you'll find those in footnotes 214 to 223. Okay. And then as Regina pointed out before, the stuff about calling Comey a nut job uh, as, as, uh, as uh, proven by the statements of Hope Hicks will be found in footnote 470. Very good. Very good. Okay. And, um, for our listeners that are, are reading the Mueller report, get yourself some nice highlighters and some post-its and you can post and highlight the heck out of the Mueller report. And it's pretty, it's pretty inexpensive, relatively cheap, frankly. Uh, and it's a really, really good read. So anything else from you, Franny? Just that tomorrow there's going to be a ruling on the question of whether or not uh, they can get the taxes whether the congressional committees oh, are going yeah. to get the taxes. Yeah. And apparently the judge is very interested in just moving directly to a hearing and getting it resolved, not dragging it out. So, Great. you know, the judiciary can really shake a leg when they are persuaded to, and it could move a lot faster um, than Trump is hoping. Boy, great. Um, okay, so let's see. So we're going to wrap it up. And uh, what do I usually say? Um, we're going to call where do we? Where do you find us, Reggie? Where do you find us? Oh, that's right. Oh! We're on Spotify, people. We got on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on sistersofresistance3 at gmail.com. And find us on Facebook on Sisters of Resistance. I think it's all one word. It could be three words, but it's Sisters of Resistance. And um, yeah, see, I don't have my script in front of me. And uh, so listen, uh, everybody keep the faith and call bullshit on the Trump administration <laughs> and any other bullshit that you see. And um, we will get be back here next week for another podcast. Are we all set, girls? We're all set, Reggie. Resist. Resist, everybody. Resist. Take good Thanks care. Thanks for listening. Thanks for Thank being with us. Thank you very much. Bye.